Coming up on Supernatural Confessions. So I really do think there is enough evidence here to be something that's quite real. Are you saying? Yes, I think it's a hantu this time. O M G. Player. Supernatural Confessions. Hello, and welcome to Supernatural Confessions, our weekly podcast where we feature and discuss all things supernatural, especially here in Singapore and Southeast Asia. We cover the myths, the urban legends, the superstitions, and most importantly, your personal encounters with the paranormal. I'm your host, Timo, inviting you to share your stories with us on our Facebook page or on our website, supernaturalconfessions.com. This episode features clips from our live show, which I host of Supernatural Confessions founder, Eugene Tay, streaming Friday nights at 10 on FB Live. Also joining us is veteran paranormal investigator E.T., whose critical approach and attention to detail have given him a keen eye and the insight to make rational deductions and find scientific explanations to most paranormal cases. To catch it in full, search for Supernatural Confessions and like us on Facebook. And now, on to the show. Supernatural Confessions. Before we head into our confessions, let's start with a quick check on what's been making headlines recently. This week in this week in this week in this week in paranormal. This first popped up on a website called Singapore Uncensored, okay? This person sharing his experience, a practice that we've heard plenty about as well, uh, selling salt in a cemetery. You know, old wives' tales have told us that if you want a quick buck, you need to go to a cemetery at night and you need to bring bags of salt, okay? And the belief is that as you sit there, the spirits will come to you to purchase these bags of salt. For what reason? Later we will defer to ET on that. But there is only one rule and that is when you sit there, you must look down, you must never look up. So people will come, they will collect salt from you and they will leave you payment in various forms. You must never look up when someone comes to buy salt from you, okay? And then you take all the payment, you know, home with you and it will magically turn into money, okay? So this is what happened with this one particular guy, all right? It says he drove to a cemetery in Lim Chukang found a clearing with a tall tree and proceeded to sit down and start preparing his salt. So he sat under the tree, looked down, and then he starts to smell something. The smell of death. He says it smells like rotting animals, roadkill, right? And then suddenly, while he's looking down, a hand appears in front of him, okay? But it's no ordinary hand. It's a decomposing hand where the skin is rotting, flesh is tattered, right? So the hand shows up, you know, this guy, he drops a packet of salt in the hand and then 
the hand drops off some payment, except it's not money, drops off some dried leaves, all right? That's the form of payment. So that happens the entire night, all right? He says all he could smell was rotting flesh. And then more and more spirits or entities showed up. All he saw was their hands and they would collect salt and they would drop off stuff. Everything from dried leaves to insects to even hell money as well, half burnt hell money. So this is to me is the creepiest part, right? After a while, I guess towards the end of the night, you know, business kind of stopped, people stopped coming by. You figured, okay, I guess that's when it's time to leave. Just as you're preparing to leave, he heard a sound and it was a gurgling sound. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Okay? You're going to regret making fun in just a little bit. He looks in front of him, he doesn't look up and he sees another hand, except it's the hand of a very small child. The child was barely like two years old, judging on the size of the hand. And after he gives the salt, do you know what this child spirit used as payment? A pacifier. <laughs> Does that not break your heart? Seriously. <laughs> My heart broke, okay, when I heard that, okay? That even, you know, a, a case where you've got a child spirit who wants salt and... I mean, we, we, we're, we're dads, right? I mean, it's heartbreaking enough, you know, the, the idea of a child dying so soon, but... You know how attached they are to their pacifiers and to give up their pacifiers for a bag of salt. I'm sorry, that broke my heart. Okay, so after the child spirit leaves, he takes all the payment, you know, the bugs, the hell money, the pacifier, all the, the leaves, stuff like that. He puts it in a, in a bag and he goes home, right? And then when he gets home, he looks inside and what used to be hell money, bugs, leaves, pacifiers, other stuff, it's thousands of dollars. Wow! Thousands of dollars, all right? So you would think that this whole thing ended on a very high note. He went to the cemetery, sold some salt, and made thousands of dollars. But here's the thing. Ever since then, you know, every time he goes to bed, he hears scratching and rustling at his door and that same smell of death. Now, the rest of his family doesn't smell it. They don't hear anything. And once in a while when he wakes up, he will find a grain or two of salt in front of his bedroom door. Isn't salt supposed to, you know, ward away spirits? Like you throw salt on your shoulder. So why would spirits yeah. want to buy something that is going to harm them? Actually, that's a very good question. And this is where, you know, I want to throw this to E.T. Because the only person I know who's ever done that is E.T. Which is why I'm I'm hoping that he shares his experience with us. This was years ago, bro. Which cemetery? Uh, it was at uh, Lim Chu Kang. Can you explain to us why salt? Uh, if anything. So the belief is that in the past, these hantus or, or, or what you call zombies and, or, or whatever, they want to use salt to preserve their bodies basically. Because you know salt has always been used as a preservative. So it's always been believed that you could actually sell salt to all these hantus and then you get money out of it. Um, so this story was very interesting. If you guys have already read it or, or not, or at least the team managed to narrate it. Um, Honestly, I find it a bit hard to believe the entire story um, because if you were really were to do that and you have all this interesting stuff, if it was me, I would have taken the photos of the stuff he collected and then the cash that he collected, uh, that, that, that it converted into. But nothing of that uh, happened. Plus the fact that I think we only we did not just do it once. I think we did it a few times at a few cemeteries. Uh, nothing got out. I mean, we got nothing from it. 
So looks like we're not very good at uh, selling stuff. Lah. Maybe that guy's a better salesman. Well, maybe he didn't take photos because he had no money. Maybe he needed to sell salt so he could buy a camera. That could be a possibility. Uh, but I still find the, the story a bit too too wild. Lah. Too, too, it, it's too... It's, I don't know. Just every single part of the story when I read it just comes across to me as a very nice story. But I really doubt the, the authenticity of it. Lah. Our first confession tonight was submitted by Stephanie, breathing life into her story as volunteer narrator Eddie. I'd like to share a supernatural story that happened to me back when I was a young child. So firstly, I'd like to say that I'm not really a believer or a skeptic. I kind of just accept anything that happens, but would probably not like to tempt fate and meet any supernatural entities. I'm also a bit of a, I call it batu, in the sense that I can't hear, see or sense spirits and I like to keep it that way. Anyway, my story involves a holiday that my family and I had in Penang Island back when I was a kid. My father was an avid golfer back in those days and he and a group of his kakis would go golfing every Sunday morning. So one of his golfing buddies suggested traveling to Penang to play golf at one of the island's golf courses. My father and his friend, being from Penang Island, thought it would make a nice holiday for their respective families as well, seeing as it was the school holidays for us younger kids and it would keep us occupied while the fathers went off to play golf. One thing about my father's golfing buddy was that he was a very kiamsiap person, which means very, very stingy with his own money. Since the Penang trip was self-funded, he didn't want to spend any money except for what was necessary. So this uncle arranged for all the families to stay at the Millionaire's Club lodging because it was much cheaper than staying at the hotels and resorts in Penang. I remember when we arrived at the lodging that it was a really old building that was probably built during the colonial times. After we had registered at the front desk, one of the staff took us to our rooms to put down our bags and freshen up. Because my family consists of not only my parents and myself, but also my little brother and our maid, we were split into two rooms. With my mother, brother and maid in one room, and myself and my father in another. We walked through a dark corridor to get to our rooms and along the way, I remember we passed by what seems like an open area with an old beaten up sofa for the guests and staff to relax on. So we finally got to mine and my father's room, which was quite small, had an attached bathroom and two single beds. It was quite far from my mother's room and we had to walk through the dark hallway to get to each other's room. Now, I prefer my bits to be firm and I jumped on each of the bits to test which was the firmest and chose the one which was nearest the window. I remarked to my father that the bed seemed to have a stain which was covered by the thin white bedspread and my father insisted that I take the other bed even though I said that I was fine with the stained bed. We went to sleep after 9pm as my father told me that he had to wake up at 6am the next morning to catch the earliest game and that he would take me to my mother's room so that I could continue sleeping there. Ever since I was a child, I've always had difficulty sleeping in new environments and so the whole night I was tossing and turning, looking at my father's watch to tell the time and continuously going to the toilet to pee. 
My father had left the bathroom light on and throughout the whole night, I could see that my father had not moved an inch from the position that he was sleeping on. As a side note, I had shared a room with my parents when I was very young and I knew that my father moved in his sleep. So it surprised me that my father wasn't moving at all and was very quiet during that night. I had even crept closer to make sure that he was still breathing. At around 5.30 a.m., I saw that my father finally turned from sleeping on his side and I felt relieved. Soon, he got up, asked me to get ready and deposited me in my mother's room. I heard them whispering something to each other. And when I asked them what was the matter, they told me to just continue sleeping and that my mother would take us jalan-jalan later in the afternoon. So later after my father's golf game, my parents announced that they had found a good deal at a nearby hotel that had just opened and we would be moving there to stay for the rest of our trip. Being around 10 years old at that time, I thought it was the best holiday ever and proceeded to pack my bags and help my parents move our belongings to the new hotel. It was much later when we were settled in the hotel room that my parents told me what had happened during the night in the lodging. My father had apparently been awake the whole night, but had felt something was pressing him to the bed, causing him to be unable to move an inch. He kept reciting Hail Mary throughout the night, and it was only when daylight was about to break that he was finally able to move. My mother at the same time had felt like someone was staring at her in the shower, and she had also smelled the scent of rotting roses. She and our maid had also claimed to smell rheumatism oil coming from under their bed during that night. Needless to say, we were extremely glad to be away from that place and enjoyed the rest of our stay in Penang. Okay, so um, very interesting story. Uh, I think typical story where we travel with our family and then you stay in a hotel and stuff like that. Um, so I find that the pressing sensation that the dad uh, uh, actually uh, encountered um, and, and you know the part where he slept and was not moving are actually very strong indications of uh, our body experience. Um, so I'm not sure she didn't really say or let me I, I didn't recall of how they actually reached Penang I don't think it was a flight so I assume it was a long drive from Singapore all the way to Penang so that long, long drive obviously we have taken a toll on the dead and uh, you know creating an opportunity for astral travelling so so whatever she saw of the dead uh, is a very typical uh, uh, scenario where people actually, where, where their soul misaligns and they astral travel um, yeah, so so that's why the dad had probably that pressing sensation because you know the soul is coming off the body, um, and she herself she was tossing and turning and she like had difficulty sleeping, um, but interestingly she felt and saw nothing. Um, she however did say that she had trouble all this while she always had trouble sleeping in a new place. Um, so I think this further strengthened the point that there was no actual hauntings uh, in that hotel. How do you describe the smell though? Exactly. So I'm um, actually moving to the mom's sensation, the mom and the helper in a different room. So feeling someone stare at you while showering in a, an unfamiliar place, right? Um, it's quite common as well. Uh, you go to a new place, if you're alone, you tend to you know look left, look right. Like just now when you had the voice of my grandmother says, you know, that kind of thing like, hey, don't know, got someone watching me or not. So I think that is also, especially when it's a new place, um, like, 
give you an example so maybe you guys uh, can understand it a bit better so for example if you go to like old Changi hospital for the first time you sure them scared lah right after going there for like I don't know 20-30 times it becomes like your home and then you're so familiar with every single nook and corner right? you feel very accustomed to the place you don't get so scared but in an unfamiliar place you tend to have this sensation that someone's watching you or someone's just there um, especially when like from the way she described it the place was like dark and dingy and stuff like that so when a place is also dark and dingy you tend and I'm not surprised to have funny smells lah, you know um, especially the smell of koyo, you know. I don't know if they check under the bed, but maybe got the you know the X oil drop under the bed or something that I don't know, or you know some maybe the previous fella that stayed there, the leg pain like you know Elvin just now was telling us he did some, I don't know some exercise bending his legs all, but then the leg pain, then they rub the koyo, the koyo drop on the bed. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised because of how she described the hotel. So I really don't think it's a, a, a really bad haunting. Uh, I really do think it's just being that old hotel and, and, you know, our mind playing tricks on us. What do you think, Eugene? Well, when I heard the confession, I went to do a bit of check on golf courses in um, around the Penang area. Uh, Bukit Jawi, uh, Penang Golf Course and a few other golf resorts in the area. Previously, before they, were beca- before they became golf courses, they were all plantations and villages that they were being asked to vacate cleared out before this uh, golf course took over and also this uh, Stephanie she, she did say that building was very old colonial times uh, when when I see details like this where a land was taken over and built upon a village a colonial building yes I mean whatever E.T. said there is a very strong possibility that it could be um, you know something that has dropped under the bed but I'm also likely to think that when you walk into the room if the smell is already there you would be able to identify that the koyo smell is there. Oh, hey, how come the room service did not clean this room? I can smell the koyo smell or hey, X brands, X oil, I can smell it. When you walk into the room, not later at night when the smell comes and then, oh, actually there was a spilled bottle of, you know, so I think that that timing uh, doesn't quite explain that the bottle of X oil or koyo has been there prior to their arrival. Now, uh, when a village has been torn apart, uh, Old villages, and this is something that we have done research on uh, continuously, even in Singapore. A lot of these old villages back in the 19, uh, early 1900s or even uh, before that, right? They do practice a lot of uh, what do you call it? Animism, right? Uh, black magic. And back in the times of my grandparents, our grandparents' time, Kampung days, they always dabble in black magic. It is a norm in those times. When they move away from the village, like even Singapore with uh, Sambawang Kampung Wak Hassan. When the villagers move, all the artifacts, the energy, the entities, they are still in the ground. Uh, so it is not surprising that for old buildings, especially uh, in Asian countries, you will find entities still lingering behind. Now, why did they attack the family? Now, that could be a variety of reasons. It could also be something as similar to William's story where the entity is already there. The room is already going to be haunted regardless of who goes in. Whether you've been driving, you're tired or you're not tired, you go in, you go in, you're going to be attacked. So I I like it. Like, right now, I'm sitting there listening to the story. I'm thinking that might be the case. The room is already haunted to begin with. Uh, they did say that some of the evidence to show that they're quite cheapskate. So I reckon they're looking for the cheapest, the cheapest room, trying to bunk everyone in, probably even going up to the counter and bargaining with the girl for an upgrade at a lower price. That sounds like the kind of uncle that she described, very kiamsia. So, 
it could be it could be that they were given a room that is already haunted to begin with sure we talk about how uh, ghosts on the chest can be or oh, sleep paralysis oh science, science has that but you couple that with the smell with the sight like everybody in the room has some form of experience now when that happens uh, the coincidence is too strong for it to be an isolated scientific case in this in this scenario I would say what this Stephanie and her family had encountered is definitely definitely a paranormal activity I just want to follow up on one of Eugene's points and just going back to the whole I'm sorry if I use this term and it's offensive, the chipo nana aspect, okay, of this <laughs> of this family, right? Now, she mentions it's an it's an old building, okay? Do we even know if it's even air conditioned? Because if it wasn't air conditioned, then the window might be open and the a smell might waft in in the middle of the night from another room. You know what I mean? Maybe someone in the next in the next uh, in the next floor or in the next room is rubbing koyo or medicated oil or something like that and the smell comes through same way what kind of uh, ventilation system do they have you know is it one of those like you know those old classroom ones where every every there there is a, a ventilation unit there and then it connects to everywhere else so someone somewhere in another room somebody you know rubs koyo it runs through the ventilation ducts and then it comes down through th- into your room as well so that might kind of explain why you know a smell might suddenly appear out of nowhere you know when you didn't actually smell it the moment you got into the room but how how exhaust work is they bring air out they don't push back air into the room right so there's and once again we we don't know what kind of building this was right if if it's really old and it's dilapidated and they were going for the cheapest possible room you know i to be honest i think they kind of lucked out smelling axe medicated oil you could have smelled a lot of worse things okay <laughs> if you have terrible ventilation dead rats la somebody can you know like in the next room and then the smell comes through as well if you can smell axe medicated oil that's actually one of the better smells you can smell you are not alone supernatural confessions This next confession features another tale from National Service. Timothy recounts this creepy encounter while serving in the military. This is my supernatural confession. It was a Sunday night in Nisun camp where I was a recruit back in 1994. It's a Sunday night. My buddy woke me up around midnight in our level 2 bunk and requested me to accompany him to the toilet. He said he had heard a scary dog wailing. I was slightly annoyed, but went with him. I noticed that our friend uh, beside us was still using his torchlight to pack his fuel pack for the route march the next day. While we were in the toilet, we heard a single long dog wheel that lasted like 10 seconds. And this came from somewhere out in the parade square. That really gave me the chills. While walking back to our bunk, the dog gave another wheel. I rushed to the bunk balcony to look for the dog. The moment I stepped onto the balcony, the dog stopped its wheeling immediately. At this point, another recruit from the next bunk walked over along the balcony, asking if someone was playing prank. At that moment, my buddy behind me noticed that the friend who was packing his fuel pack was on his bed, shivering with his blanket over his head. So my buddy asked him what he saw and he replied, 
don't ask me. I saw the thing. We were all so scared that we jumped onto our beds. The next day, that friend shared that during the second dog building, when my buddy and I were in the toilet, he actually went to the balcony and saw a lady ghost in white floating at the T-junction of the medical center less than 100 meters away. And this lady had a hideous face and was waving to him to join her. Years before this incident, at the same T-junction, another friend of mine actually told me that there was this night when he was going to the medical center to report sick and he actually saw a green mist floated out of the ground up to the treetop beside that T-junction. Some months later, I was back in the same Nisun camp as an instructor this time. There was a fellow instructor who slept in the company office instead of the HQ block and I was curious so I found out from him that there was this night when he woke and another instructor was sleeping in a HQ block bunk facing the hilltop infamous colonial era white house. They had kept the radio beside the window playing very softly through the night as usual. Suddenly, the volume of the radio went up and down, up and down. The other instructor ignored it and continued to sleep with a pillow over his head. But this instructor, this other instructor, he woke and looked towards the radio and saw a lady ghost with her hair spray out as though she was touching static electricity and she had her arm extended through the open window and meddling with the radio volume control. She was actually floating outside at a height of about level 3. On some other nights, this instructor would hear the ghost calling his name from outside the bunk. That was why he slept at the company office instead. Thank you. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, over the last few episodes, we have heard, you know, multiple accounts of, you know, radios, volumes going up and down, you know, sometimes playing two different radio stations at the same time. And obviously, you know, uh, with my background in radio, I, I always try to, to CSI it and say, you know, it could be a cross frequency, especially if the stations are very close together in frequency. Or maybe, you know, if it's one of those old transistor radios, sometimes if you have a connection problem that can adjust, affect the strength of the signal and hence the volume changes as well. But having heard Timothy's confession, I much prefer his explanation where there's actually a hantu with the hand reaching in <laughs> and actually adjusting the dial. That is a much better story to tell an explanation to give than any technical you know thing that I can come up with <laughs> okay um, so this is my take on it I'm sure we have heard many army stories right um, to the point right why, why did I say that is because to the point I'm not sure if these stories actually affect our minds even before we enter army so you know preconceived ideas and stuff like that plays on your mind um, coupled with the fact the usual uh, tiredness of the mind of all guys that go through uh, all this army training and stuff uh, not being with your family or your loved ones uh, you know sometimes things can really play tricks on your mind um, but this infamous lady in white let's call her Miss White the White Puntiana always seems to be chilling at almost every single 
uh, uh, army camp that we know, you know. She likes boys. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, the thing is this, um, we always have these stories, uh, even to the extent where last time uh, um, when I was doing my duty at Mindef, so we were guarding the gates, uh, the seniors used to tell us that Miss White will be there, right? And she's coming towards us, but she gets stuck at the gate because apparently the, you know, some some army camps, okay, like Mindef, there's a huge, uh, the Mindef crest on it. So apparently that crest has been blessed by all four religions. So legend has it from these seniors is that Miss White gets stuck outside and can't come in because of that crest. Um, yeah, so I don't know how true that is because I've never seen seen Miss Miss White. Next, the green mist. Okay, the green mist is interesting. Uh, I don't think we have many stories uh, about the mist. Um, so if you do a little research, uh, mist is a natural occurrence, especially in forested areas. Uh, it's due to either heat from the ground or maybe you know which can be caused by decomposition uh, of maybe dead leaves and, and stuff like that and then the cold weather. So sometimes you do see greenish mist uh, and that is quite common. Uh, now, the one that's interesting is the lady playing the volume control like what team picked up just now. Okay, uh, because most of the time it just moves by itself but this one actually physically, right, it flicks the switch up and down. Um, because it was not just a sighting and there was actually physical movement of the knobs. Um, I really do think in this aspect, right, that this could actually have been a real poltergeist activity. It also reminded me of our non-Spotify days where my sister and I would fight over the volume control, you know, over our favourite song and stuff like that. So I really do think there is enough evidence here, at least for the radio switch being moving up and down to be something that's quite real. Are you saying that? Yes. Of all the stories, the lady in white, the green mist, that one I have my explanation, but the radio volume moving up and down, flicking on the switch, I think it's a hantu this time. O-M-G. Ladies and gentlemen, mark this exact moment in history. E.T. admitted that it was the hantu. Wow. So what, 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 can, what can Eugene say now? I mean, it's like, it must be the... Wait, you already said it. What? Because of all the satellite and the radar, you know, the Nisun came on top of the hill. So there's a lot of this undercurrent. Uh. So- see, like, y'all, see, that's the problem. See, I say it's the EMF, also can I mark it. I say it's the phenomenon, can I mark it. I say it's the hantu, so can I mark it. What the hell y'all want me to do? <laughs> all right, well, okay. So E.T. has has conceded that it is the hantu. I am sure Eugene also believes it is a hantu, but he may believe it's a hantu for different reasons. What what was your breakdown uh, analysis of Timothy's confession? Generally, coming from army camp myself, with my own personal army experiences, I truly believe that for some reason or another, army camp seems to be the magnet of all hantu. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer, uh, and that's something that's been with me for, for since my army days. Now, I do also know that in army camp and army stories, they tend to have a way of just growing upon itself out of proportion. Like my ghost story with the, the Pochong story, remember the one where I walked to the, the, the army camp, uh, the MO dump, and then years later, I hear the story about how, you know, my story was, you know, it just, it just got sugar and spice and it just blown out of proportion. So the foundation or the base, the base of all these paranormal activity in camp there is some truth to it but it's been sensationalized uh, with the, the with the Pontiana not being able to get in because of the crest uh, I've heard a lot of people say that the crest is blessed and all that 
now I have a I have a problem believing that. One thing is I have been with the Taoists and uh, there, there's a, the seven, not four not four there's five or seven different religion going down to bless the place and I was there firsthand. I was attached to a Taoist priest and I was carrying his sacrifice. So I do know that five religions go down to bless the place. But the crest, that's something you can buy from Beach Road and I think it's mass manufactured by <laughs> by a machine and I don't think at the at the warehouse there'll mass, be the five religions. Mass blessing. The, uh, they have this reservoir <laughs> of holy water that they go through like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so for me, I think the, the belief that the, the crest is blessed gives people the courage uh, and that courage manifests itself and sometimes... Uh, chase away the spirits so that's one the green mist at the T-junction now I do not know about the science behind decomposition decomposition and green mist being a common thing because I have not seen that myself but what I do know is that crossroads generally is where all the negative energy tend to be at uh, remember we did an article on woodlands we talked about the issue on every time there's a major junction and there's a lot of accidents there the block of flats around that junction that faces the junction usually have bad luck or there's uh, some haunting around that place. We also talk about in folklore, you go to cross junctions where you want to bury all these pangtang items so that the spirits cannot follow you back, they get lost. Or if you want to see ghosts, you bend down between your legs to see also at a cross junction. So looking at the folklore behind cross junction, um, there could be some truth that in that area, in that cross junction, there could be some negative energy like a vortex pulling all these entities down. Uh, ghosts reaching in to, <laughs> I, I love that, right? Like it, it, at the same time, it fills me with fear. Okay, because now I actually have a visual in my head to imagine the next time I hear volume changes. You know, what I mean, with the with the stereo, like I can picture that there is something right there. You know, reaching in and actually fiddling the knobs. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so the question is, do I believe that the radio station has changed, the volume has changed? Yes. Remember the, uh, the confession with the nurse over in the CGH where she said her radio was against the wall behind the blind. No one's touching it but the volume goes up and down. Remember that confession? So yes, having having your transistor radio being meddled by, by ghostly entities has be, is a common occurrence. It's not something that I would say, oh, don't, it's, it's a lie. But to see a figure moving in and doing the, I, I think that's made up along the way when people start sharing the story. But I still like I still like the idea because that story gives me some visuals. So I still prefer that story of a ghost going in with the, the hand and the door knob, uh, turning the knob, more so than strange effects on the radio. Supernatural Confessions The confessions continue momentarily, but first we received a video from Chu on one of those superstitions passed down through the generations. If you have similar legends, myths, and old wives' tales, send them to us at supernaturalconfessions.com and we'll be happy to feature them in. My grandma. My grandma. Grandma always tells me. My grandma always tells me. Always tells me. My grandma always tells me. Hello, everybody. My name is Chu. I'd like to share something that my grandma used to tell me. She told me that it is a taboo to take pictures together with three person. The center person will get either cursed or something bad will happen to him or her. So I will always try not to take pictures together with three person in it. Okay, that's all I have to share. Thanks. Supernatural Confessions. Don't look behind you. 
This confession comes from W. A warning though, after hearing this, you might not be too keen to take those long, lonely cross-country car rides. This happened in the late 90s when I was in a relationship with someone who lived in Kuala Lumpur. He used to make the four to six hour drive to see me nearly every weekend. He came from a moderately religious family, Catholics, and they would often attend church services together. He would drive from KL just to pick me up in Singapore on some weekends, and then making the same journey back again so we could spend the same part of that second journey together, catching up in the car, and then spending the weekend together in that city. On one such return trip from KL to Singapore, we had to take the detour as the section of the motorway was under repair. We had to take the exit off the KL Singapore motorway onto a much quieter remote carriageway just bound for Johor. I recall the odd house or two along the narrow lane and lots of trees as if we were in the forest. A signpost indicated we were in Kota Tinggi. Before long I fell asleep. It was late, perhaps a little past midnight. I was jolted awake by a loud gasp from him. I immediately sensed something was wrong. I turned to see him very shaken, very shocked, clutching very tightly to the steering wheel. He was a God-fearing man who lived life as I had known him then, full of humour, kindness and generosity. He had never dabbled in anything that went against his beliefs. Nothing really fazed him, aside from whatever he had just encountered that night. My defences went on high alert. I was very frightened. I asked him, what did you see? What happened? My eyes were darting about in fear and desperation and I was also trying to catch glimpses of whatever he had seen or experienced to have frightened him so. He was stuttering in disbelief, as if what he wanted to say went against his very grain, as if what he wanted to say out loud as well would only just validate whatever he was struggling to understand. He said something had just passed us by. My skin crawled and I dare not even breathe. I was so frightened I did not even dare to shift my gaze. I started imagining whatever that he saw might still be lurking around somewhere in the car. He sensed that I was really frightened, tried to reassure me. They have gone, he said, as he continued to pick up speed on that lonely road to get as far away from that as possible. He saw what appeared to be figures in two-dimensional forms. They came out from the trees. They were white, and as they came towards the car, they appeared to be flying, like sheets of paper or kites flying in the wind. Fighting to keep himself under control, he recounted the story. He thought they were kites or paper at first, he thought it very strange how kites could appear from the trees all of a sudden. He was wondering who could be flying them at that time of the night and in that forested area. It was only when they flew nearer towards our car that he made out they were human forms, but completely flat in shape and outline, like two-dimensional people cutouts. As they flew nearer towards our car, they flocked together and floated and flew past over the car and then 
just as strangely as they appeared, they disappeared back into the trees. Soon after, we had to stop. He was just too shaken to continue driving. We found a local hotel to settle in for the night to try to calm our very raw nerves. We didn't sleep at all that night. He started trembling as soon as we were in the room and had gone very pale as his very constitution, his very beliefs, had been tested. I saw him clenching his crucifix tightly in his hand and I watched him silently reciting Hail Marys. Could it really be 2D cutouts, I asked him. Perhaps someone had left them behind and they got caught by the wind and our headlights just made them out to be all white. He said he was thinking about the same and was trying to work out all the various possibilities. But nothing could explain why they looked so very lifelike. And it wasn't just a visual error, he added. The whole scene panned out over a few seconds. We left at daybreak. He was in a much better shape the next morning, and fortunately nothing untoward happened to us. We never stopped at Kota Tinggi again. Later on, he did some research and told me that town saw an insurgent during the Japanese occupation, and many people had died. He wondered if what he saw were the spirits of the victims. Being a Catholic, he believed in the devil, but not in local folklores or legends, and neither did I. I learned from your podcasts that supernatural encounters typically end with the witness or victim falling very ill for a considerable amount of time. I also learned about the existence of local legends and other forms of supernatural entities from your episodes. I just do not know if what he had seen that night might be any of these, but those shapes he saw were not gender specific. I'm just glad his strong faith kept him safe in the end. He did not fall ill, neither experienced any post-sighting effects whatsoever. What could that be? I look forward to your interpretation, and I do hope it was just a shadow of his imagination. Uh, for almost a year, uh, almost every weekend, I would travel around Johor Bahru area, going up even up to Malacca and up to KL for work sometimes. So around the Johor area, uh, I don't. I usually like to go around the smaller roads, you know, through the plantation, uh, scenic routes, and very, very scary, very, very scary. Uh, a lot of times when I was driving, of course, imagination run wild. The place itself looked so spooky that straight up, you know, I, if you wanted wanted to film a horror movie. Anywhere along the road, there is a perfect setting. Uh, personally, I have not seen anything while driving. However, a lot of other drivers have, you know, have their own stories. Uh, yeah, Esther Tan say Karak Highway. This this one is not Karak Highway. This is the one uh, near Kota Tinggi. Kota Tinggi itself have their own dark past, dark history around the area. Uh, people see cars that cause accidents. Uh, people walking along the road, cars screech so a lot of eyewitness account of seeing things but none ever documented now uh, they talk about the incursion the Japanese it's I don't think in this particular case is the residual of those Japanese incursion and cause the death of the people that still rises and walk along the streets I don't think so there was also another similar case similar case to this uh, at Bahau Bahau, Bahau area Jalan Bahau area 
So this was actually told to me by a skeptic, uh, Grace. And there is Orang Bunyan in the area, the local folk. What is Orang Bunyan again? Okay, Orang Bunyan is like, if, if you want to draw parallel um, examples for pop culture references, it's like the Wakandans or the Avatars or the elves, people who live on the other side of the world, uh, like beyond reality or the fabric behind reality. So Orang Bunyan is like elves, right? And they own different parts of the forest. They would stay there and sometimes they would travel around. So based on this story, what W have seen, I believe it's more towards, if I, if I hear something like uh, Orang Bunyan village around the area, I think that's more believable than residual haunting of the Japanese era. So that's that's where, uh, I believe it's a hantu, but it's not residual energy, it's Orang Bunyan. Um, Kota Tinggi also is another area there where in the forest area, not sure whether it's near the road, but in that forest area, there's something called uh, Atlantis or the Kingdom of Atlantis. It's a half-developed hotel in the middle of the forest and now the, the forest have overgrown and taken over the building. But if you fly a drone over the area, you can still see the, the structure in the area. So again, when you have a structure in a particular area that is t- overtaken by undergrowth, a lot of these spirits, wandering spirits, jinn, orang bunyan, will be around the area calling it the place home. Uh, so far, W did not mention anything about being attacked. It was just all sightings. So this led me to believe that whatever they experienced is probably not malicious. It's not one of those Pontianak variant. It was just entities passing by and they were lucky enough to be able to see that. Okay. I mean, how she described these entities as well, um, you know, she said they were like paper cutouts, you know what I mean? They're like 2D images and stuff like that. Uh, at least in our neck of the woods, I've never really heard of entities that quite fit that description. I have heard about similar entities, but actually, surprisingly, not from not from Southeast Asia. Because, I mean, I follow quite a few podcasts, supernatural podcasts as well. I hear descriptions of creatures like that, but from Japan, actually. They actually talk about, you know, spirits, entities, their varieties of demons and things like that that come in the form of like, you know, 2D images. It's like from the front, you see, you know, a full person and then you go to the side and you realize it's just, there's nothing. It's like a paper, a walking paper. So that was how I, you know, that, that's kind of what crossed my mind as she was describing uh, what her, her boyfriend at the time was actually seeing. Now, before I, I hand things over to E.T., as you know, over the last few episodes, you know, I, I try to, you know, learn as much as I can from E.T. And once in a while, I try my hand at, at imagining what E.T. would say. So I've developed my own persona. Instead of E.T., I am E.T.I.M. And I feel like E.T.I.M. would say something like, you know, uh, when you drive for a very long time on these roads and you take these long roads and especially if the person you're with is very, very inconsiderate and then they fall asleep and they don't help you to keep awake during these long trips, right? Sometimes your mind goes wild. You start imagining things and just the uh, the, the type of, uh, you know, the fatigue that you go through as a driver, right? You know, you start to imagine things because you are just driving for long periods at a time and even though you're there with somebody, you're literally there by yourself if they're asleep. So is it hard to imagine that while he's fatigued and he's exhausted, that his mind starts to play tricks on him? And on top of that, right, you notice she didn't actually see anything. Everything that she recounted is something that he saw. So by virtue of the fact that you only have one person and you don't have another person to back up what it is that you saw, then that casts a lot of doubt on your entire confession. 
also the two figures that they walk and see that it's actually two dimensional you know when uh, light actually travels very far and bounces off when you're driving along a dark highway so it's very easy for your eyes to play tricks and see a reflection of light and think it's a two dimensional ghost <laughs> well done guys well done <laughs> <laughs> over to you ET so what am I supposed to say it's the hantu is it okay so uh, interestingly Kota Tinggi has been known for various hauntings uh, for the various lodgings they had uh, I think this is the first time I heard it on an expressway in fact Kota Tinggi is interesting because in 2006 my buddies from SPI they actually went there to do a cast of the Bigfoot so Bigfoot was actually sighted there in 2006 uh, in Kota Tinggi? yeah yes Kota Tinggi had a Bigfoot? yeah yeah so, so there was all these imprints of Bigfoot. Did they even call it Bigfoot not? Or was it just called like Kaki Besa? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, but we went down. Um, they actually did a plaster cast. And, uh, you know, we there was a nice gesture from us. We gave it to the Malaysian par- Paranormal Group. Lah. And guess what? You know what these guys did? They tried selling that cast on eBay. Yeah, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with them, right? Okay, anyway, that, that, that's, that's another story for another time. Um, so I always wondered um, the hauntings in Kota Tinggi couldn't it be attributed to the waterfalls that uh, what Kota Tinggi is famous for uh, since we always know that uh, entities are actually attracted by water bodies so the waterfalls there you know it, it's pretty famous um, what I find interesting in this story is the 2D figures honestly I've never come across them um, in fact maybe what I think he saw was more like they were translucent so sometimes when things are translucent it does look 2D instead of 3D um, somewhat like you know Casper the friendly ghost somewhat like that um, so I think that's why they look flat uh, and because you know when you look through them you have the, the impression that they are actually flat but maybe they are not as flat I'm not sure so if it really was a translucent figure that he saw then he would have a strong case that he might actually have had a paranormal encounter. And this is also in line with what our parents have always told us that hantus live in trees and that's why you shouldn't shine your torchlight, you know, don't shout at trees and stuff like that. So um, it's a tough call for this, uh, but because of how he described the 2D figures, which I assume they're actually translucent, I think he might actually have seen something there. And so it might be the... (laughs) Yeah, so like I said, he might have seen, you know, something translucent that looks like Casper. Which is the... Yes. The... I think it might actually be the Hantu this. (laughs) this. Not once, ladies and gentlemen, but... Twice, E.T. has succumbed to it might be the Hantu tonight. E.T., what is going on with you tonight? I mean, on one hand, I'm thrilled to death. You know, you're being so open-minded tonight that it could be the Hantu. But on the other hand, I can't help but worry for your mental well-being. No, so so um, you, you see that that's the reason why I said only if he those two those two D figures were attributed to because they were translucent, because I've actually have encountered something like that. So it, it was in the, you know, you know, Lucky Heights where there's the Boyani Cemetery. So the first time when I first met the bunch from SPI, where we first started it, that was our first meeting place. And I saw this figure that was about, 
I don't know, double or three times the normal human's height. And it was like wrapped up like how you see a pochong, but it wasn't hopping around and it was translucent. You could literally see through it and it looked exactly like Casper the Hungry Ghost. You could actually see through it. So when I read or when I heard that confession, the first thing that came to my mind was, could that be what he actually saw? So if that what it really was, the translucent being, then I would think it's something that's, you know, pretty real. Uh. Supernatural Confessions Our final confession tonight features an interview conducted by Eugene, a tale of a monk and his nightmarish battle with the dark forces. A bit of background info about this guy. His name is, uh, he, he asked me to blank out his name, so I'm just going to call him um, Ajahn Ed, E-D, right? So what this confession is about is, I wanted to find out stories because he's a monk. It was a scarier story and he was telling me about a time that he was going to ordain to be a monk. And his his kind of uh, practice is the one, the forest tradition. He'll go into the forest uh, with the rest of the, the if you watch like P-Nak or P-Mak, a bunch of guys go into the forest with a shrine and a monastery and they ordain to be monks and they have to go through some rituals and some to survive the forest. That's what happened to this guy. So... Any other questions you want to ask me, Tim, before I play the... Yeah, the yeah, yeah, He's going to say a word a few times, and I think you need to explain what it is. A kuti. A kuti is like a hut. He lives in a, a hut in a forest. So his, the toilet is actually meters away. So there is a main monastery, and there are kutis around the monastery area, which is like 15 minutes out. And it's total darkness. And the whole place is surrounded by cemetery. That night, when he left me, right, I go inside the, go inside the hut, go inside the kuti. I started hearing all kinds of funky noises. Sounds like the pasar malam outside. I'm in the I'm in the forest. There's nobody there, but I can hear adults running around, screaming, shouting, laughing, crying. It's like, what's happening, man? <laughs> so never mind. Next morning, three uh, about three plus four, I went to the went to the main hall. Went to the main hall, went for Armstrong, come back. I didn't sleep the first night. It was very, very, very noisy. So came back, uh, had, had, the, had my breakfast. After that, uh, meet some of the lay people who came. Introduced myself, everything. Then uh, in the early afternoon, I went back to the Kuti. I saw all the pagodas again, took a closer look. It was actually two stones. They are pagodas, but they put the ashes inside the pagodas. So I went, I went to investigate the, the brick structure. So I, when I look inside, right, so I see black, black, then I saw a lot of ashes and everything. Oh, this is where they burn the bodies. Then I went, I, uh, I met one of the monks. So I asked him about the, the pagoda everything. So then I found out this monks from Hong Kong. So I can speak Cantonese, so I, I converse with him in Cantonese. He told me that for most of the people who are, the ashes who are put there, are people who drowned, died in accident, murdered, commit suicide. All the bodies, nobody claimed. They bring to the temple, burn, burn the they put the ashes there. So all the rabahawan. The second second night, right, I became paranoid because I couldn't sleep. Uh, I was 5 p.m., everything all piece black. I don't even dare to go to the toilet. 
Then I know that it's all these uh, the the entities are all the people, all those die charging death and uh. So then I practice already. Then I got uh, I also practice the the C, the the C Hermitage. Uh. So uh, I also have some mantras and stuff like that. But I was so paranoid. I I I I became scared. Uh. I couldn't. The first time in my life, I felt scared. I never scared of spirit. Even. Never scared entities, ghosts, and spirit. But that was the first time I actually. I fear. I don't know why, but I just I couldn't control myself. I couldn't calm myself down. So the whole night I was paranoid. Whole night I was paranoid. So I started. I open my bag. I take out all my amulets. I wear all my amulets, all my tanga, all I tie. Then I sit down there and I start shaking. I cannot recall any mantra. I cannot recall any mantra. Then the there was a second night. Uh, I cannot recall any mantra. Then I took out my book. I open my book. Uh, I try to recite the mantra, right? Cannot recite because when I try to recite, all I hear is my teeth. Cluttering. It was quite awesome. I think back, it's quite awesome. You know, uh, 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 I was, I, I was scared shitless like a little girl, man. To watch the entire interview with Ajahn Ed, visit the Supernatural Confessions channel on YouTube. Supernatural. Confessions. And that concludes this episode of Supernatural Confessions. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you're listening from. Supernatural Confessions, the podcast, is free to listen to on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever podcasts are played. You can also share our podcasts and our content with your friends and help us grow our network of supernatural fans and enthusiasts. For more information on what we do and where we do it, like us on Facebook and visit SupernaturalConfessions.com. Until our next installment, my name is Tim O, and this is Supernatural Confessions. Supernatural Confessions.